Welcome to the Fitness Matters Podcast. This is episode number three. Hey, Killer Bees, it's Paula B. And today is the episode that I have been putting off for a long time. <laughs> we are talking about grief today. And I know that if you are brand new here, you're like, what do you mean a long time? It's only episode number three. And you're absolutely right. This is episode number three of the Fitness Matters podcast. But I've actually had a podcast for a little bit over two years now. And I have been I have been hinting and I have been talking about and I have been wanting to and frankly, truly, even though my heart is pounding and I can't think of anything I would like to be doing less than this right now, I feel so compelled to talk about this topic. This is, it's huge. It's huge. This is a fitness matter that matters to you. And in that vein, let me, let me just start super, super quickly with this. I kind of assume that if you clicked on an episode called grief, that that you might be newly bereaved in some manner. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about all the different things that you might be grieving during this episode. But for whatever reason you felt that you needed to click on this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Grief sucks. <laughs> this is a hard topic. And and I have I have more disclaimers at the beginning of this episode than I ever have before, probably ever will again. I just, I want to make it really, really, really clear, number one, that I am not any kind of a grief counselor. I am not any kind of a grief expert in terms of like the psychology of it. I am an armchair expert about it. I am really talking today about my personal experience with grief and I mean, I do have, I do have as a fitness expert, as a fitness trainer, I do have experience working with people who are dealing with grief. And I will, I will talk about those kinds of things also, but today is just, today is personal. Today is my experience. Um, (laughs) Here's a disclaimer number two. I am going to cry. I mean, I already am. This is coming. (laughs) This is, this is inevitable. This is part of it for me. And so this is the disclaimer part that if, if other people crying makes you uncomfortable, I totally get it. Don't listen. I mean, I'm not going to get through this topic without crying. There's going to be a lot of it. (laughs) This is, this is how I deal with the world. Honestly, like I'm a crier. And I know that sounds really funny. If you've like watched my videos or have listened to the podcast. Well, that's not true. (laughs) I have cried on the podcast several times now, but crying is actually how I like process all of my emotions. I cry when I'm happy. I cry when I'm sad. I cry when I'm excited. I cry when I'm frustrated. I cry a lot. Like I am a crier, not just I cry, but I am a crier. And, and, and as that, I mean, as we're talking about this, I do want to give you disclaimer number three, that I am not bothered by that. It is literally who I have been my entire life. I'm not, I don't think that I am having trouble dealing with my grief. This is not excessive crying for me. But in that vein, (laughs) disclaimer 3A is that if, if at any point in your grief journey, if you do feel like, hey, you know what? I, I'm not handling this well. I'm not, I'm, I am struggling more than I'd like to struggle. 
I wholeheartedly encourage you to seek professional advice, not just listen to a podcast, but, but to actually talk with somebody who can help you with your grief. I am not that expert. I am, however, also, disclaimer number four, I, I am also a person who laughs. And I, I listened to a podcast about grief, I, I'm going to say like six months ago, and I didn't, I shouldn't even say that I listened to the whole thing, because I didn't. I was not where this person was that I was listening to. And they were a little bit too jovial about the topic. And I'll be honest, I know for a fact, because I know myself, that I'm going to laugh today too. I I laugh. I just do. It's part of how I deal with being sad, but it's also just part of how I process life. I'm a laugher as well as a crier. And for some people, the way that I talk about this topic, it's not going to hit the right notes. It might be too sad. It might be too jovial. It might just be too much. I want to give you permission right off the bat. If this doesn't hit your spot, turn it off. You don't have to listen to a podcast that isn't helpful. My intent today is to be helpful. It's why I feel compelled to talk about this. I don't think enough people talk about grief. I really don't. I think this is a topic that we as a society collectively just absolutely sweep under the rug. It is uncomfortable to talk about grief. It is it's so painful. It's so raw. It's so personal. It's so hard. And even as somebody who, you know, has experienced grief, is experiencing grief, I find it difficult when other people are in the throes of it. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It's really hard. And so no matter why you are listening to this, I do hope, I do hope that it's helpful that we can talk about it together. So let me tell you a little bit about, about my grief. If you are listening to this the day that it comes out, December 15th, today is the two-year anniversary of my sister dying. She had a very, just unbelievably brief, it was six and a half months, but that did not feel like enough time, fight with cancer. And she died at 12.12 p.m., on 12-15. And I was able to be with her when she died. Her whole family was there. And it was, it was the worst day of my life. And yet, and yet, things got worse afterwards. You know, it's funny now thinking about, thinking about the whole time leading up to her death. If you, if you personally did not get what I consider a pre-grief era in your grief journey, if you, if, okay, let me actually, let me back up really, really quickly. I, I do not use euphemisms. I, this should have been part of my warning, part of my disclaimers. I actually do say the word died, dying, death. I don't, I don't talk about passing away. 
or moving on or any of those lovely things that I know lots of people talk about. I am, I am a hand it to me straight, rip off the band-aid kind of girl. So again, with the warning, this might not hit your notes. Turn it off if you need to. It's totally okay. But getting back to it, I, I personally had what I consider a pre-grief era. And I know that not everybody gets that, that for some losses, that the loss is very sudden, very quick, very surprising and shocking. And again, you have my sympathy if that is your experience, because I do not. I have, the people that I have lost in my life, I've had at least a little bit of warning. Uh, Again, with my sister, we had six and a half months. And I feel personally like that pre-grief period was, was pretty important for me in that it gave me time to understand and if not accept, accept is such a, a funny word, but it gave me time to wrap my brain around the fact that my sister was going to die. I knew it was coming. There, I mean, there, we did not get a very clear diagnosis from the doctor. Well, that's not true. It was a very clear diagnosis. We did not get clear language from the doctors who were working with my sister. Nobody ever said the words terminal cancer. Like I know they used to a long time ago. Like that's what they would say. Oh, you've got three months to live. And I know that we have experienced as a society, this swing in the other direction where doctors simply don't tell you that anymore. And I'm sure some of that is liability issues and some of that is trying to be kind. And while I do appreciate that for what it is, again, I'm a give it to me straight, take the bandage off kind of girl. So when nobody is giving us a straight answer, it was really hard to understand exactly where my sister was Um, And as it turned out, she was a lot sicker than I think any of us entirely realized the entire time. But so I spent that six months, unsurprisingly, I cried the entire time. I mean, I spent six months crying and worrying and fearing and, and grieving for my upcoming loss. I knew it was coming. I, I said the words, I talked about it. I, I still worried about it though. And it's kind of funny now, not funny, haha, but it's funny now to think about how silly that was. I mean, to be fair, there was, there was no more quality time to be spent with my sister than I did. She was very sick. She was in a lot of pain. She was on a lot of pain meds. She didn't really entirely know what all was going on most of the time and slept. Uh, truly, she slept most of the last six months of her life. So, so I don't have regrets as far as like, oh, if I wouldn't have been, you know, worrying, I could have done something else with my time. That's, that's not how I feel. But I do think that I might have better prepared myself rather than worrying that I might have just, (laughs) let's be honest, logistically, practically helped myself a little bit more prepared for the paperwork and just like literally the logistics that happened after, 
after she died that I was wildly unprepared for. I really, I understood that I was going to lose her. I don't think I understood that everybody else was going to lose her. I didn't entirely grasp where my place in the family was going to be. But so that pre-grief era, physically, this is going to sound super, super funny, but that pre-grief era for me, fitness-wise, was actually some of the fittest that I have ever been in my life. Now, part of that is because of some of the training that I was doing. It's literally the day after I announced uh, a 100-day fitness challenge where I put out 100 videos in 100 days. I called it the Hot 100. It was over summertime. Literally the day after I announced that I was going to do that was the day that my sister was diagnosed. And so I worked really, really, really hard while she was sick putting out this 100-day challenge. And if you've never done the Hot 100, I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes. It's a really good challenge. They are 10-minute workouts and 100 days in a row. I tell you what, I was honestly, truly in just about the best shape of my life. And some of that was that I was working out. In addition to the Hot 100, I was doing I was doing a lot of running because I do run like all the time. I am a runner, in case you don't know that, in case you are brand new to the podcast. You might not know. The, this podcast was formerly called the Let's Run Podcast. We used to run every time we had a conversation. And I am still a runner and actually still planning on having a running only podcast in the very, very near future. But so for me, that pre-grief era was fitness-wise not as difficult as anything else. I I was sad, I was worried, I was fearful, I was stressed out, I was you know trying to take care of my sister, trying to take care of my mom, trying to take care of myself. I I had a lot going on and yet physically I was very capable of all of those things. And then after my sister passed away, you know, there Okay, so again, this is where we talk about how I am not a, a grief expert. What I know about grief truly comes from uh, Wikipedia. I mean, I'm not even trying to... I think it's kind of common knowledge, you know, the, the five stages of grief. The uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, I think. I hope I've said that right, and I hope that's actually her name. I feel like I feel like that came to popularity at some point in time in my childhood. Like I think sometime in the 80s was when she was doing that work and therefore, you know, it was probably on Phil Donahue or Oprah or something. I mean, right? You know how you know how you like pick up stuff like that from your childhood and you're like, "Why do I know this? Why have I heard about this?" I've taken literally one psychology class in my entire college career. So it's not like it's not like I would have some deeper knowledge of this, but I feel like this is pretty common knowledge that there are stages of grief. And actually, in doing my incredibly brief bit of research this morning, trying to remember which order they went in, it looks like that is actually kind of kind of being rethought, maybe in a more modern way, that there's uh, some talk of seven stages of grief. Um, it, 
no matter no matter which model you look at, I, I took the five because it kind of fit in with what I wanted to say today. This is not linear in any manner. For me, the fitness piece of it was slightly more linear and it did coincide with the five stages of grief, which is how I'm going to approach it today. But, but also, but also even fitness wise, it's not entirely linear. If you are new to this grief game, let me tell you this, you are going to go in and out of grief. You will go in and out of the stages of grief. You will go in and out of the physicality of grief more times than you think you're going to. But so the first, the first, you know, psychological stage of grief is shock and denial. And, and I felt that very physically also. I vividly remember, I vividly remember sitting on the couch for hours at a time, which is not generally speaking something I do, but I remember sitting on the couch for hours, hours at a time in the, the weeks right after Vicki died and feeling very energetic, I guess is the word I'm going to use. I felt like I had a lot of energy. I wanted to get up. I wanted to move the furniture. I wanted to go for a run. I wanted to change things. I wanted to go shopping. I wanted to move around. And yet at the very same time, could barely muster the energy to do anything. That, that shock feeling can, can be a little disconcerting. You're, you're energetic and there is stuff to do, but it's not, it's not very productive. I mean, I did go for a run. I, I went for a run the morning after Vicki died. And I remember I wanted, I went out for a run because I wanted to see the sunrise because I wasn't hundred percent sure it was going to come up, but it did. And I continued to run more or less with my normal schedule. Well, I mean, I ran a marathon 11 days before she died. I, I forgot about that. Actually, I was just thinking about that right now. I trained for and ran a marathon right before she died. I, um, I had signed up for it before her diagnosis. It was one of those early bird deals where I got, you know, like half off or whatever the price of the entrance. And it's a marathon that I do every year or did every year. I haven't, I haven't since I'm, I'd like to, again, I like that race, but it was one that she used to come and, and cheer for me every year. And so it's been really hard to think about doing that race. But so I ran, I ran that marathon (laughs) right before she died. Yeah, that was, that was 12 days. Not that it matters. I apologize. I'm getting lost in my own memories here. So, so physically, physically, I was still capable of doing things mentally and emotionally, I was not. And so that for me was kind of like a little bit of grace period in terms of 
my pre-grief period, I had been in fantastic physical shape. So therefore, that shock and denial part, I, I was still in good shape. I still felt energetic, but I definitely was dropping with what I was wanting to be able to do. And that, that shock and denial part, it didn't last very long for me personally. And your, your grief journey is going to be your own in so many ways. But the length of time that you feel any one of these things and how many times you come back to it while you're processing it, it's so individual that for me personally, the shock and denial was pretty short-lived. I'm going to say a couple of weeks at most. I... I, I feel like I had I had said the words to myself so often. I knew she was going to die. I knew that I had to be able to handle it. That I I didn't let myself be in denial. And I know that I mean you don't really have control over it. Let's be honest. You don't really have control over how or when or where you're going to feel the feelings. But I felt more prepared mentally and emotionally than I think some other people in my family were. And, and that's not, it's not an indictment of them. It's not judgment. It, it is an important point though, that where you are in your grief journey, even people who have the same relationship to your loved one who passed that you have, or people who have different relationships or anybody at any time, they are going to be on their own personal grief journey. And part of part of your journey is going to be accepting the fact that some in fact, everybody grieves differently, that somebody who meant a lot to you is going to be grieved differently by different people who have a different relationship. And that can be really hard. It can be really sticky when some people seem unaffected, some people seem more affected. Uh, there's, There's a whole lot of that that goes on that is not it's tangentially related, but it's not 100% related to the physicality of grief. So I'm going to I'm gonna let that be an aside because it's important and it's something that's good to know that other people are going to grieve differently. But, but let's keep talking about you. Let's, let's just focus on you and your grief journey. The second stage is anger and guilt. And I will tell you that I had absolutely the hardest part here. I... This for me was spring of 2018 and I am not a person who processes anger well. I don't like feeling angry. Anger is kind of scary to me. I don't like it when other people are angry. Anger is a really rough emotion for me and I knew that it was coming. I knew that it was part of the grief process, but this is definitely the stage that I fought. And in fact, if if we're going to be in denial about something, I was in denial that I was going to need to feel anger. <laughs> so so this one for me was especially hard and the anger and the guilt actually physically for me this is when I started kind of really struggling with my workouts in terms of 
I wanted to work out super hard because I was feeling that anger, because I was feeling that guilt. I wanted to, you know, pound things. I wanted to punch things. I wanted to run really hard. I wanted to run really far. I wanted to run really fast. But but the guilt part, which does feel very heavy, it does feel very slow. It does feel like it just weighs you down. I, it was hard for me to get any exertion out of my body. So I personally started getting I, really inconsistent. Let's be honest. I would run really hard and really far. And then I would sit on the couch for two days because I was exhausted from that effort and I was exhausted from fighting back the the angry feelings. For me personally, exercise was a good outlet for anger. It I'm struggling to even put this into words. I I really I truly do struggle with anger. I remember one run that I went on just really really specifically that I started off the run feeling pretty good and it was a little bit longer. It was an 8-mile run and I have this route that I go that I actually really enjoy. And I remember that I was about a little bit over halfway through and it's an out and back. So I, you know, went out for 4 miles and I was coming back home. And there comes a point in, you know, any kind of, of good physical exertion when you've kind of, you've kind of broken down some of your mental barriers where your brain is going to start thinking things that you don't want to think about and your body is going to start kind of breaking down in a way that, that you're not always prepared for. And I remember I was probably, was probably five miles into this eight mile run and I just lost it. I was so mad. I was infuriated, which means of course that I started crying and it's really hard to cry and run, but I tell you what, I have gotten a lot of practice at it the last two years. I just, I, I'm sure the people driving by on the road were like, holy moly, what is going on with this girl? But I remember just, I wasn't screaming because, I mean, I was in public and I held it together, but I remember feeling like screaming and I know that I was, I, I feel like I was probably talking out loud. I, I don't remember for sure, but I'm, I'm no, I did, I did. I was talking out loud and I was so, I was so mad. I was so mad that she would leave me, that she would leave me with this mess that it was all on me and I didn't want that. And I was just so furious. And the running was a really good outlet. And timing wise, I think I got kind of lucky that I had those, you know, three miles on the way home to kind of just work through all that anger. And it's come back around a couple of other times. That one run, which I think was probably sometime in like March or April. So, you know, three or maybe four months after she died was when I was really in that, that angry phase. And that was, it, it was again, relatively short lived. It was probably a couple of months and I really did not spend very much time specifically in anger. I, I kind of, I kind of didn't do a whole lot of guilt either. I, again, for me, this is, this is 100% my personal philosophy in life. 
what's done is done. I really, really, really try not to feel guilty about things. The decisions that I made in the moment were the decisions that I made. And since I can't change them, I try very hard not to go back and beat myself up about them. And that is something that has taken me years of practice, years and years and years of practice, long, long before Vicky died. I had started working on not feeling guilty and forgiving myself and just living with what I've done. So, so for me, it, it was a little bit of anger mixed in with both the denial part and probably moving forward a little bit of the depression, which is, I mean, officially stage four. But so for a couple of months there, the, the anger and the guilt really kind of wreaked havoc on any kind of training I was doing as far as like fitness in terms of, I felt very energetic. And then I also felt incredibly lethargic. The next stage of grief is bargaining. And, you know, when I wrote this down, I was thinking, I don't, I don't remember going through this like psychologically regarding Vicky's death. I, again, because I had the pre-grief period, because I had warning, I, I did more bargaining, I think, before she died than afterwards. I absolutely struggled with the idea of her dying, but, but after she died, I don't know. I don't know that I went through much bargaining. Again, I am a very practical girl. It was done. It was done. Physically, however, I know for a fact what happened here. Physically, this was like mid to late spring, so probably around April-ish, April or May, I absolutely started bargaining with myself and my fitness. I absolutely started bargaining with going through grief. And I signed up for an ultra marathon because that's what somebody does, right? Like, isn't that ridiculous? I was four months into my grief journey and I thought it was a great idea to sign up to run 110K. And I look back now and I'm like, I know, I know now, like it's really clear to me now exactly what I was trying to do. I was 100% trying to run away from my grief. Totally, totally get that now. At the time, it felt good. Like I was setting a goal for myself, like I was moving forward, like this was part of acceptance was that I still got to live my life and do what I wanted and be happy. In my mind at the time, it felt like acceptance. Now, a year and a half after the fact, I 100% see it for what it was. And this, again, with the spoiler alerts, you know, I'm two years in. If you are less than two years in, I have some, I have some wisdom. You are going to think that you're in one stage of grief when you are actually in another. This is part of the process too. It's part of the journey. It, there's no way, there's just no way around it. And that's, maybe that was the bargaining thing. I thought that I could circumvent grief by literally running away from it. So I spent the whole summer training really hard. Um, Well, really hard is kind of relative. I spent the summer training and I felt at the time, I actually felt pretty focused. I felt pretty 
good, truly. Like I remember, I remember that I was kind of steadily gaining weight, which does happen sometimes when you run ultra marathons. I mean, especially again, okay, so this was, this was the summer of 18. My baby turned 18. So suddenly I had no children in the house. I was the mother of adults. Then both of my kids drove away and went off to college in August of that year. So my husband and I were left with an empty nest and it was, it was rough. Just physically, I was in the throes of perimenopause. I had an empty nest. I was grieving. I was training for this ultra marathon. This was a perfect storm of just like a whole lot of both mental and physical stress. So I, I did gain a little bit of weight during this time, but again, physically, I actually felt like I was in good shape in terms of being able to meet the goal of running the 110 K which I did. I had a rough day. There's, there is a podcast about that. Actually, I will, I will put that in the show notes too, in case you'd like to hear about that day. The thing that I didn't, didn't know was coming was, was stage four, which is depression. I had no sooner crossed that finish line. And that was September 18th, 19th. I think it was like the second or third week of September. I crossed the finish line and sank into probably one of the deepest depressions of my life. It was hard. I had really, I had successfully in many ways run away from my grief. And in that, that period of time after I ran the 110K, I mean, physically I had to recover. Like it was, it was huge effort, even though it wasn't like a great day. I still, I mean, I was on my feet for 19 hours. I ran 68 miles. I mean, I didn't run the whole thing by any stretch, but I was, I traversed my body, hurtled itself forward for 68 miles. I was physically exhausted. So I could not, I physically could not run away from the grief anymore. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. That's what is so hard about the bargaining part. I really thought that I was moving through the grief, but what I was doing was I was putting it off. And when it got me, it got me good. I have been depressed in my life before. I have had depression significantly when I was younger. I mean, I, I was going to late teen years, early twenties. I, I dealt a lot with depression. <clears throat> So I was familiar with what it was going to feel like. I knew, I'd like to say that I knew it was coming, but I didn't know what it was going to feel like. I had no idea how hard that part was going to be. And combined with the fact that I was recovering, it meant that I, I really, truly wasn't really capable physically of doing very much. Add to that the fact that I was absolutely not capable mentally of doing much means that I took pretty much a three month vacation from doing anything. And I mean, I say that I, you know, I was still filming videos. I was still running a little, I I was still getting up and moving through the motions of my life. But this is the point in time where 
both physically and mentally and emotionally, I was just heavy. It was, it was the hardest on me physically. It was the hardest on me mentally. It was the hardest on me emotionally. Depression is hard. Depression is physical and it lasted longer than I wanted it to. I mean, the, the worst of the, I can't get off the couch depression was, was really just a couple months long, but honestly, well, for me personally, I kind of went back into the bargaining phase. I, I've, I, looking at it now from my two-year perspective, I'm going to say that I have bargained more than any other stage of grief. And truly, even though I feel some days like I'm ready for acceptance, maybe this is still bargaining too. You know, your, your physical journey, your emotional journey, you're going to find yourself you're going to find yourself in one of these stages longer than you mean to. And I don't know which one's going to be. You might, you might get stuck in anger. You might get stuck in bargaining. Like I appear to have gotten stuck in bargaining. You might get stuck in depression. You might get stuck in, in shock and denial. It, no matter, no matter which stage is the one that kind of gets you, it, it's just part of it. And physically, what's, what I found to be difficult was, and some of this again is my age. Some of this is perimenopause and menopause, which is also doing its own physical number on me right now. It's really hard for me to tell which one it is. Is this grief? Is this menopause? Is this, you know, just me personally? Is this, you know, what is this? It's hard to tell. And so I've tried really hard not to put a label on it too much other than this is where I am right now. But the depression thing, last year, last December, the the anniversary, the first anniversary was hard. It was, it was really, really hard. But I remember feeling relieved at the same time that we had made it through the first year. And I remember we went out to lunch at 12, 12, of course, on the 15th. And I remember by the time we were done with lunch, I was with my mom and my niece and my nephew and my kids and my husband. And I remember feeling so relieved like I made it through the first year and now, now I'm free. Now I can, I can be happy. I can do what I want. I, I had promised myself that after the first year that I got to feel better. And that sounds really silly, doesn't it? It sounds really silly to me now, like looking back at how I thought grief was only going to last a year. I really felt like like I got to move forward. And I did, I do, I am. But I tell you what, some of that bargaining and some of that depression has snuck back around in this second year too. I I briefly revisited anger like maybe once or twice during 2019. Maybe. I nothing nothing of note. I don't think I have revisited denial. Hard to say. But the bargaining and the depression have both circled back around numerous times. 
for me personally, this year, 2019, has been has been a better year physically in terms of my running, trying to get a handle on my weight, trying to feel comfortable with my training, trying to feel comfortable with my body. It's been a process though, honestly. The first the first several months of the year, um, again, I might call this denial, but I might call it some version of acceptance. I started setting goals for myself in a more meaningful way with a couple of ultra marathons and some business goals. And I, I felt at the beginning of this year, like, like I was allowing myself to move forward in a different way than I had the year previous. Came back to bite me though in February. And again, there's a podcast about, or not entirely about this, but there is a podcast about a a spring series of races that I did where I talk briefly about how grief affected that. I had signed up for a race on my sister's birthday, which turned out to be a very bad idea. I, in my mind, when I signed up for it, I had thought this is a version of acceptance that I wanted to do something that I'm excited about that makes me feel good and that helps me feel like I'm moving forward in my life. And so I signed up for a 50k on what, well, on my sister's birthday. It's always her birthday, whether she's here or not. And that turned out very poorly. I, I woke up in physical pain, like could barely move physical pain from just utter resistance, utter resistance to doing anything on that day that didn't, I don't want to say honor her because the fact is when I signed up for that race, I thought it was kind of honoring her, but my body had other ideas. My body wanted to be sad. My body just, my body was depressed that day. My mind was well, it wasn't okay because I felt so bad physically. My mind leading up to that day had been fine, for lack of a better word, but both physically and mentally, emotionally, that day was, it was too much. It was way too much. I ended up um, not finishing that race and being able to just go home and be with my family and, and, and woke up fine the next day. This is the thing that is so weird about grief. It can be so physical. You know, we think of grief as being emotional. We, uh, me personally, I think of grief as crying. I mean, again, coming coming back to my warnings way back at the beginning, when I think of grief, I think of crying. Grief has so many other facets to it that is so bizarre and amazing. Grief is very, very, very physical. Your body has things to say to you about grief that you are not hearing in your mind until your body starts talking to you. Later this year, or earlier this year, depending on how you want to think about it. But later in the year of 2019, which is earlier than it is right this minute that I am recording this, I I went through a period of weight loss. And I did, in fact, make an entire episode about that also, where 
I, I felt like, again, I felt like I was doing something for myself. I felt like I had really reached this place of wanting to be kinder and gentler and more loving towards myself. And that meant really scaling back from my running and even scaling back from some of my other workouts and eating in a way that did not feel like too much or too grief driven. And it's funny how it's funny how my body had held on to my grief. I have this theory and it is a total 100% crackpot theory. I have zero scientific evidence for this, but I have so, so, so much anecdotal evidence from myself and from clients that I have worked with. I, you can, you can take this for what it is, but I'm going to say it out loud. I feel like your body holds on to emotions. And I suspect that it holds on to emotions in your fat cells. I have no idea how that would work, but I have noticed in myself and in others. The first time I lost weight 13 years ago, I noticed that when I was exercising or sometimes kind of randomly, I would get these very old thoughts, very old feelings and very old just emotions would bubble up in me, specifically when I was running more often than not. When I'm running is when I process 90% of my life, truly. And I feel that as the fat cells were burning, that they were releasing those old thoughts, those old feelings, those old emotions. And I absolutely felt that when I was losing weight this August and September and even October. I had so much more trouble again with grief than I've had. And some of that, again, I had just run an ultra marathon in August. I was recovering. I was unable to work out the way I had been before. Maybe I was back in denial. Maybe I had been running away from my grief again. It's hard. It's hard to pinpoint why we feel the way we feel. But my body, my body is still holding on to grief. Feeling this anniversary coming up. I am struggling again physically, even though I had just lost weight. I've put two pounds of it back on. I'm struggling with my workouts. I'm struggling with my emotions. I'm struggling. It's hard. And one of the things, one of the things that I'm trying to do for myself right now, and this is I'm not done yet, but this this is where I am in my grief journey. I feel intellectually ready for acceptance. I feel intellectually ready for the final stage of grief. And I think it's super, super interesting that I started having these thoughts a couple of weeks ago and no sooner had I had some thoughts of acceptance than physically my body feels like it's pushing me back into depression. Some of this is timing. I mean, this time of year, I do, 
I do truly feel like this time of year is maybe not always going to be hard, but is always going to be, it's always going to be a memory. It's always going to be part of my grief journey is the anniversary. But a couple of weeks ago, I had this thought that, that I don't want to be sad anymore. And this is the part where if you are newly bereaved, this part of our conversation might be offensive to you. And I totally get that. I don't mean it to be offensive. I don't mean it to be hurtful. I am, I am really specifically talking more towards people who are further along in the grief journey and who are struggling with this final stage of acceptance. I, I think we all think we've hit acceptance, but I had a couple of thoughts a couple weeks ago that made me realize that I have not truly accepted Vicky's death. I was thinking about, I was thinking about not wanting to be sad. And I was like, you know, how, how would that feel? I was kind of going over it in my mind. What would that feel like? What would that feel like to not be sad? And of course it made me sad to think about not being sad because it brought up all kinds of thoughts about, well, if I'm not sad that Vicky's dead, then does that mean that I didn't love her? If I'm not sad about my sister, who does that make me? Does that make me somebody who just moves on and is fine, even though this terrible thing has happened? I mean, is that okay? And I really, I really turned that around in my mind. I mean, intellectually, of course it's okay to move on. This again comes back to being a practical girl that I am. Here it comes very bluntly. My sister is dead. There's literally nothing I can do about that. There's nothing in this life that will change that. So intellectually, I understand that I am moving on. I am moving on whether, whether I want to or not. This is how time works in our, in our brains. And so I have choices. I have choices about how I move on. I have choices about moving on and feeling sad for the rest of my life, moving on and feeling both happy and sad, moving on and feeling happy. And so there's a question that I ask myself, and this is something that that I have found works for literally any situation. Anytime you are struggling with any thoughts, any feelings, any situation, what I have learned to ask myself is, how do I want to feel? I mean, I, I have choices. You have choices. I I know that I know that we very often feel at the effect of our emotions, but we affect how we feel so much more than we think because of what we think. And so I asked myself, how do I want to feel? And the answer was immediate, immediate and obvious. I want to feel grateful. And truly, I I mean, anytime I'm making any kind of gratitude list, anytime somebody asks me, what are you thankful for? I'm thankful for my sister. I mean, I'm thankful. I'm so grateful I had her. But then, but then I thought, 
Okay, it's super, super easy to be grateful that she was alive. Am I grateful that she died? I know you want to turn off the podcast right now because that's a weird thought. How in the world could I be grateful that she died? It sounds, it sounds like I'm saying I'm happy she died. And that is not what I'm saying. There's a big difference between being happy and being grateful. And I turned that over in my mind for a long time. I was on a walk, actually, rather than a run. I was on a walk and I was like, what would that feel like to be grateful that she died? And I have to tell you, it didn't take me very long to actually come up with ways that I am grateful. I have a very different relationship with my niece and nephew than I would have had my sister stayed alive. I have a different relationship with my mom and my dad and my brother now that my sister is dead. Is it better? That's not what I'm saying. Not better. It's different, and I can be grateful for that. I can be grateful for changes that I was unwilling to make. I can be grateful for, I'm going to say it, the opportunity to be a different person. I'm grateful that I get to make this podcast, if it's helpful for you. I'm grateful that I feel so, so much empathy for other people who are grieving I'm grateful that honestly, uh, there was a, there was a door that was closed to me because truly, truly in my life, I've not experienced a lot of tragedy. I've been, I've been around other people's tragedy. I understand that tragic things happen, but this is, this is hands down the worst thing that has ever happened to me. And I know that for lots of you, you're like, wow, you are super lucky. And I am. I'm super lucky. And that's why I'm grateful for the opportunity to understand that other people hurt like this. In fact, everybody hurts like this. Grief is universal. I'm grateful to understand that. And if I'm grateful for that, it means that I'm grateful that Vicky died. So I'm still turning this around in my mind. I'll be honest. It's hard. I, I, I would like to be ready for acceptance, but I don't, I don't think I'm a hundred percent. So these are thoughts that I am practicing. I mean, that's here, here. I finally have practical advice. Mostly I've just been telling you stories, but now I have practical advice Ask yourself how you want to feel and practice it. The fact is, for a long time on your grief journey, and long is relative. For some of us, for some of us, not me personally, for some of us, it's months. For some of us, it's years. I I feel more in the years category since I'm two years in. And I, how many times did I cry today? I, I feel like this is going to be a long process for me. But I know that this process is shorter for other people, for other losses. But it always comes back to, it always comes back to your mindset. 
There will be a point in your grief journey where you will feel capable of making decisions about what you want to feel, what you want to think. I wasn't ready for that for a long time. I, like I said, that podcast that I listened to six months ago, it was, it was talking about acceptance and I was not ready. I was not ready at all. I found it offensive, truly. I, 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 it was just, it was too hard for me to think about what that was going to look like. But where I am right now feels different. I feel capable of thinking differently. I don't know that I will do a follow-up to this episode. I might. I might as I get further down the journey. I hope, I mean, I always hope that these episodes are helpful. I always hope that you get something out of it that you need to hear. But I hope, in addition to being helpful, I actually hope it was comforting in some way. That is, I think that is something that I am also grateful for is finding comfort in very unexpected places. If you feel like sharing, I do like to have conversations with you. I know this is a tough one. This one was way more personal than most of them. But if you feel like sharing, I would love to talk with you about your grief journey. Again, not a counselor. I can't help you through it in any manner than I, than I, what I've done here. But I would love to share it with you. Um, you can find me on social media. I'm really easily findable on Instagram and Facebook. Those are probably the best ways. Um, but also on YouTube. Um, I have a website, Paula B Fitness. I, there's, you know, you know the internet. You know how that works. I do hope that you'll follow or subscribe wherever you are. I know it sounds really like totally crass right now, but but it does help me out with the podcast if you leave reviews and ratings and comments on iTunes. If you happen to be an iTunes listener, it's it's just helpful. Thank you so much for sticking with me today. This was huh, this was heavy. Next week, I promise we'll talk about something slightly more lighthearted. I I mean. You know, I'll try really hard not to cry next week. How about that? <laughs> Thank you for sticking with me. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.